Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of 5 Unassisted. Today is just Nick and I uh, here to discuss the upcoming Oscars this Sunday and all the features and films that are being highlighted in that show. Uh, I've been grinding out movies the past couple weeks just to be able to fit all those uh, different films before the show. I don't know, Nick, have you done the same thing or have you been kind of watching them uh, throughout the year? So I got like one or two uh, along the way, but the past week I've you know crammed four or five in uh, in a couple of days. I think it was Wednesday where I watched three of the ones we're going to talk about in just like rapid uh, fire succession. So it's definitely one way to watch movies. You get a little bit like tired mentally, um, but the bright side is we can bring this lovely podcast to you guys um, and inform you of a lot of the movies that came out this year, even though theaters weren't open. So happy to be here. Yeah, I mean... You're definitely right that it was mentally taxing because this is definitely one of the shows, if not the show, I've looked forward to the most just because of the amount of effort I put into preparing myself for it. Um, Mm. Grinding out, like and cramming 10 movies within two weeks when you you know you're, you have work you have other responsibilities and obligations it's very challenging and especially movies are a commitment it's two two and a half hours where you have undivided attention towards the television screen and you gotta pay attention to the characters and the plot and other things going on so you're definitely right about that fortunately there were a lot of movies that I was particularly fond of and I found very appealing. Uh, let's get started off with talking about the front runner for Best Picture this year, Nomadland. What were your initial thoughts upon watching it, while watching it? Um, I forget the main actress's name, but she's one of the front runners for Best uh, Actress this year. So give, me, give the viewers a bit of uh, your thoughts on the, on the film. Yeah, so uh, funny enough, I actually just finished uh, Nomadland about 20 minutes ago before we started recording. Um, The actress's name is Frances McDormand. um, And basically the plot of it is uh, it's right around the Great Recession 2008 time period. And her character, Fern, um, I I guess her husband dies and she loses uh, her house because they're closing like the town she's in. So she decides to pack up. Uh, She doesn't have a lot of money, but she decides to go on the road. Um, and just kind of, you know, like live, uh, in America. And my initial uh, thoughts about it were it's slow. Um, I can see why people love it. Um, for me, a lot of the themes, like some themes are loss, you know, uh, exploration, stuff like that. You know, I don't know if they hit as well for, you know, a 20, uh, early twenties person as they might for someone later on in their life. Um, but my really initial reaction was, uh, you know, interesting story. It is a true story, so there's that. Um, but really cool cinematography, uh, great landscape, stuff like that. But not my favorite, even though it is the odds-on favorite to win uh, come Sunday. I totally agree with you that this uh, this film was not one of my favorites. I definitely thought it was a bit boring, and I was looking forward to actually when the film ended, like while I was watching, which is never a good sign. Um, I do agree with you, too, that the cinematography was fantastic. There were a lot of cool shots, but there wasn't really a plot to really cling on to or to get really, um, you know, amped up for. It's kind of just showing, like, frame by frame of her life at that moment in time. Um, Definitely slow, not that much character interaction, not that much uh, really sensationalized drama. Which, you know, that might be appealing to certain uh, demographics and populations. It just wasn't my cup of tea. Yeah. So, well, and to, yeah. That, 
to that point, um, you know, it does a lot of showing rather than telling, which is good. Normally, that's really good for a movie. Um, but I agree that there, there really isn't a lot that happens. It's very gritty. It's very, like, realistic as to what life is like, I guess, on the road, um, you know. And there's a time and a place for that. Uh, but really, like Tyler said, it's really not that exciting of a movie. Um, it's more, it's almost like, I don't want to say it's like an experience because there is, you're right, there really isn't a huge plot. It's like she goes to one place, she goes to another place, she goes to the third place, um, working different jobs. And you get to see some interesting parts of America, uh, which is kind of cool. But again, you know, it's not the most exciting movie. It's a good performance from Frances McDormand. Um, but yeah, that's, I saw it 20 minutes ago and I still am not completely sure, like, you know what, how much I liked it, how much I disliked it. Um, now, you studied film in college. While I, I'm just a casual movie movie watcher, is mm. there a certain perspective on the movie that you may have seen due to your studies that the casual viewer like myself may not have noticed? <laughs> well, uh, you flatter me, but um, <laughs> the uh, I really do think, like, the showing, not telling. You know, there's, like, for instance, there's a scene later on uh, in the movie where she's at... Uh, one of the people she meets houses and she has a decision, should I stay or should I go? And in a normal movie, you know, that would be a five-minute dialogue scene of them arguing or something. But instead, it's 30 seconds and it just, you know, a couple different shots of her thinking about her decision and then she makes it. Um, so in that sense, it's really, you know, really well done. Like, there's nothing technically wrong with the movie. Um, I just don't think this, the core subject plot is at that interesting, especially to people our age. Um, yeah, I think the uh, the H point is certainly uh, it's not something I thought of that how we're in our early 20s and that this may resonate more with someone uh, a little later in their life. But do you think that Francis McDormand certainly put on uh, a terrific performance? But do you think it was better than Viola Davis in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is the next film we're going, about to discuss? Uh, in a word, no. Um, you know, I think I think we agree on this um, talking before the show. But Viola Davis in uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is just so she's the opposite of it. It's because it's based off a play, so it's all telling instead of showing. And the like, so the the script had to be really good, and the performance had to be really good. And Viola Davis plays this, you know, this or not this. Uh, she's a blues singer, I guess would be the right word. Um, and mm -hmm. she has like you know a quartet, or I don't know if there's five guys in her band. Um, but and she's trying to make it in, I guess, New York City. I can't. I don't know if they say where it is. Um, it was Chicago. Oh, it was okay. Um, and she's trying to like get this uh, record recorded um, for her like money grubbing. You know, uh, I guess the guy, the executives would be the word. And she is just you know star quality on this camera. I mean, what did you think of her performance and the movie overall? Oh, I thought she was phenomenal. Um, Viola Davis is usually phenomenal in most of her appearances mm. uh, across all of her other films, so I'm not surprised she's equally fantastic, if not more so, in this one. This, so, Ma Rainey's is actually my favorite film that I've seen mm. amongst all of the Oscar nominees. I thought both Viola Davis as Ma and Chadwick Boseman as um, Levy Green, one of the other band members, was absolutely phenomenal. And for a film that only showcased white characters for maybe 5%, of the entire film, the, sh the film and the way that the conversations went about themselves really showcased the racial dynamics of the time. And like, for example, um, like, uh, 
I always thought towards the beginning of the movie that Ma was kind of just being a pain. Like, oh, she wouldn't record for this reason. Like, very petty reasons. Uh, she wouldn't start recording until she got her Coca-Cola. And uh, in the back of my mind, I'm like thinking, oh, like, why is she acting like this? And uh, her manager, who's a white individual, is going out of his way to try to please her. And she's just being a pain. But then she has a more intimate conversation later in the film, basically saying how, oh, like, uh, her manager doesn't really care about her. He only cares about her voice. And that was something that that really resonated with me, that as soon as she's done recording, he would kind of just ignore her and throw her to the side. Uh, and that kind of uh, really opened a different perspective for me, how, how she's not really treated as a human, more so as a subject by her manager and also the, the person running the studio. Um but all the interactions in that movie with between the band members was incredible. And uh, Chadwick Boseman, Boseman deserves so much credit because um, it was certainly a fantastic and legendary even uh, performance as his final one before his uh, much too early death. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was about to say, you know, it really is unfortunate that arguably uh, his best performance is the last one he gave. Um, but he's electric as Levy. And uh, as much so as Viola Davis is um, as Ma. And that's really important for this movie because it's based off a of play. You know, there's really only two or three locations. Um, but the difference I think this makes versus a movie uh, by the same uh, director uh, from 2016, also starring Viola Davis called Fences um, with Denzel, is this movie is like, even though it's very static, it has because like uh, blues and jazz is like the background, that's the, like the kind of the, the pace that keeps it going, I thought. I mean, you know, like you're in the, the place where the band is like rehearsing and you can feel how much fun or how, you know, how intense their conversations are, depending on what part of the movie it's at. And I think for a movie that is based off a theatrical play, that's really impressive because a lot of the times those movies get made and they fall just completely flat. Now, not necessarily Fences, because this guy seems to be pretty good at this. Um, but yeah, Ma Rainey, I was really surprised um, that I liked it as much as I did, given that it's a play. Um, and it also has a really strong ending, I thought. Um, oh, yeah. The, the ending was awesome, too, in a very uh, kind of horrifying kind of way, representing the times again, uh, how the studio manager basically steals, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say it, steals Levy's um, version of Ma Rainey's song, and instead of producing music from Levy and a group that Levy could eventually form, he gives it to a, a group of white individuals. And the final scene cutting out, spoilers, is a, a group of white individuals who is playing Levy's song that he worked so hard on and was so passionate about. So that was definitely eye-opening as well. But I agree, man. Like, So when I watched this movie, I saw it right after I saw Nomadland. So I was kind of mentally fatigued after getting through the slog of Nomadland. But this woke me straight back up because I thought it was brilliant from uh, beginning to end. Yeah, and the uh, the dialogue is just so snappy, so good um, that it, you know, yeah, I like it, it's a movie that came out um, along with Nomadland. Uh, they came out I think in the fall, and this Marini is on Netflix by the way. Nomadland's on Hulu if you guys want to watch these. Um, couldn't could not recommend Marini more. It's only an hour and a half too, so it's pretty cut and dry, cut and, or short I should say. Um, but yeah, it, it came out, it gained a lot of traction. It has a weird name, um, which it makes sense once you watch the movie. Um, but I think that maybe hurt it from a marketing standpoint. Um, but, you know, art isn't marketing, so I guess there's that. 100%, 100%.
So that movie took place in the 1920s. Let's fast forward a bit to movies that were uh, showcased in the 1960s. There were two films, actually, from this past year, Judas and the Black Messiah and Trial of the Chicago 7. What were your thoughts on both of those films as individually and in comparison to each other? So um, I'd say... Both, uh, for background, both take place in like the 1960s. Judas and the Black Messiah is about Fred Hampton and the Black Panther movement in Chicago. Um, and, you know, you know, are they a revolutionary group? Are they a terrorist group? It's kind of working in that um, vein. And there's a, a character, uh, I forget what his name is, um, but he's played by Lakeith Stainfield. Uh, Bill O'Neill? Is that, yeah, I think O'Neill. The, um, uh, the agent, undercover agent? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's... You know, it's basically, it's his story, so it's basically, you know, he's he owes a debt to the FBI, and now he has to go, you know, work undercover um, against the Black Panthers as the Black Panthers start to welcome him into the group. So there's that there's that film, which, in my opinion, is uh, I I thought it was a very strong movie. Um, my take on it is it's pretty real. I assume pretty realistic. It feels pretty gritty. The direction is very strong. You know, it's very clear that the director Shaka King had something, a story he wanted to tell. Um, and he told it to, like, the end he wanted to. Um, my only take on that film is that maybe it doesn't go far enough toward the end. Like, there, it feels like um, it kind of peters out a little bit, even though the events aren't necessarily petering out. Now, like The Trial of Chicago 7, um, which takes place at the same time, um, and it is about the riots uh, that ha- occurred around, the, I think, the 1968 Democratic National Convention, um, and... There's a bit. There's not a ton of leeway with historical events when you're telling them on film, and to that end, I prefer Judas and the Black Messiah because it's more raw than Trial of the Chicago Seven. Trial of the Chicago Seven is essentially a courtroom drama, uh, directed by Aaron Sorkin, who's a fantastic writer. Um, but I know we have differing opinions on this, uh, so I can cede the floor to you, if you'd like. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Uh, um. I want to preface my comments by saying both were great films. Now, I do favor Trial a bit more, and I'll get into that, but I think what was interesting, at least from my perspective, was that the two films were sort of diametrically opposed in what they were focusing on. I thought Judas was a bit more of a character focus and a character study as opposed to the actual plot, because you know what's happening, what's going to happen. Fred Hampton's going to get killed by the uh, the FBI. Well, especially if you've will. watched The Trial of Chicago 7, because there's a scene, but if you watch that first, there's a scene where, because Fred Hampton's in both. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah, but. yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but they really, I, apologies if I mispronounce his last name, but Daniel Kumalia? Uh, Kaluuya. Kaluuya, yeah. He uh, really humanized Fred Hampton in his performance and made it incredibly... Uh, and morally difficult for Bill O'Neill, the undercover agent, to really proceed with his own actions and uh, the performance by the FBI agent. I forget his name. He plays Todd in uh, Breaking Bad. Yeah, and so he's still the bad guy, and he plays it very, very well because, you know, he seems like this nice upfront guy, but when he is forced in a position where he has to make a racially charged uh, action uh, in particular against black folks during the time he does so without hesitation and he's ruthless in that regard um again another amazing performance but i am a sucker for aaron sorkin films and 
trial did seem more focused on the plot as opposed to the characters. The characters almost just seemed like cogs in the machine, in my opinion. And there were a lot of huge names in that, like Eddie uh, Redmayne, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, amongst others. And I don't know, man. I, I just love Aaron Sorkin movies. Like two of my three favorite movies of all time are written by Aaron Sorkin. Just the witty dialogue. It's not realistic because no, none of his characters represent how a real person speaks but But it's incredibly witty yeah Yeah, it's very witty very fast paced everything has super clever comebacks um and i i I thoroughly enjoyed the film Uh, (laughs) i mean to me like because i agree with what you've said about aaron sorkin i just feel that the story of the chicago seven is so interesting and is so good that it deserved a better or a a better director slash writer than aaron sorkin the in fact because um, one, one of the top uh, reviews um, of this movie is online is uh, Aaron Sorkin, the writer, deserved to work with a better uh, director than Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> or he's too good of a writer to work with as bad of a director as Aaron Sorkin. That's a bit harsh because um, I don't mm-hmm. think it's that directed that poorly. Um, but to me, it's just it feels very Hollywood. It feels very... Um, you mentioned Jesse Pleman's character in Judas. Um, there's kind of a, a foil character in Trial of Chicago 7, which is Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, who's arguing against, um, uh, I guess, against the Chicago 7 for the U.S. government. And uh, my friend brought this up the other day, and he said, you know, what are we supposed to feel about that character? Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? We never end up knowing, really. Whereas with Jesse Pleman's character, we're wondering for a little bit, and then eventually we do get a concrete answer. So to me, that was more satisfying. Um, granted, those are both tertiary characters within the grand scheme of these movies, but still... I do agree with you. Huh. That's something I didn't really think of. I did think that the ending of trial was a bit cheesy. Um, yeah. I personally would not have gone that direction or don't really agree with the direction. It, it seemed very, as you mentioned, Hollywood-like, very Disney-like, uh, you know, hurrah sort of ending, or I think something like a more intimate conversation, particularly with uh, uh, the defense lawyer, Bill Kruntzler. Um mm. I think that would have been more effective. But you're also right about Jorson, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character. Um, I think he could have been fleshed out a bit more, his motives, his character development. But, again, I, I, I'm a sucker for Sorkin films. I feel, the, uh, the dialogue was just so um, charming to me that mm-hmm. I really uh, can sort of disregard the many... Maybe other flaws in the movie. <laughs> and I mean, that's fair. You know, that's the great thing about movies. Is it's so subjective that like there really aren't wrong opinions. So, mm-hmm. um, so trial for me was uh, I mentioned to you uh, this prior to the show, but it was my second favorite of the of the films. Judas was kind of in the middle. Uh, still a good film, not, nonetheless. But I really did like Trial. It's just the ending was a bit iffy for me. Yeah. Well, and that's yeah, that's fair. Um, I would definitely have those flipped. You know, Trial was kind of middle of the pack, um, and Judas, I, w- I would still say, is, you know, like kind of upper middle of the pack. I do think to the, uh, the interesting thing about Judas uh, that I'll note is the director, it's the director Shaka King's first movie, and that's a really impressive debut. Um, as a, you know, because it, it, like, I love the colors, in, uh, especially in that there's the opening scene in Judas where uh, he's walking into like the bar, where he's to like, mm-hmm. where he's trying to rob the guy or con the guy, um, and there's just you know 
you see like the neon lights reflecting and like the puddles on the stuff and like that like it looks so beautiful and it carries that on although you know how how structured is the plot in judas you could make an argument that it's not super structured um but yeah we can move on from these two movies because you could add, debate them endlessly because it's it's funny that they came out in the same year um because they really are you know two sides of a different coin almost i'm not sure if that was uh, coincidental though i feel like that might be into it's too too much of a convenience for me to feel like it was just happenstance um, well i mean there's certainly you know um given like the national climate there's certainly like you know appeal for that sort of movie or for, for these mm-hmm. stories to be told um you know and that's why it, i don't know it's hard to say because trial of chicago 7 is on netflix so that means it probably would have been in development for a while i have no idea what judas and the black messiah's background is um unfortunately it's not on any of the streaming services yet um but yeah, yeah to dish out 20 bucks just to watch that movie it was yeah. worth it but oof. i got it early on hbo <laughs> would Max, prefer not was, to uh, do that very yeah. Clutch. yeah yeah i was i was hoping it was still on there but it wasn't but moving on to the next movie so we're kind of going in a little bit of a time capsule now moving on to the 80s and with mm-hmm. minari and we're now focusing on a korean immigrant family that comes to the u.s originates in california but then moves to arkansas uh to start a farm potentially new new business opportunities for the family nick i'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts on this because as, as a korean american myself it definitely hit certain levels that i'm not sure it would hit if you weren't a korean american so I'm, I'm just very interested in how you perceive the movie yeah so i i, I love this movie um one of the things that i found really you know interesting and commendable about it is that um, you know, it's the American dream. It's like the classic story of the American dream. It's like family goes to X place in America and struggles. But I really feel like it's the first time we've seen like the Korean American experience portrayed this way. And it's very like refreshing given how much, you know, oh, America's, you know, circling the drain. America is a terrible place, stuff like that. You know, whatever the merits of those arguments are, it's very refreshing to see, you know, like this is the core of the American dream. And for, it's a very slow movie. It's not the most exciting. Um, but to me, it was, you know, very refreshing, if that makes sense, just because it was like, you know, it is one of the only movies on here that it does have some heavy scenes, but it is overall on the lighter side, I felt. Like, it doesn't fall back on certain tropes. It doesn't fall back on stuff. It's just clearly this guy's, it's semi-autobiographical from the director. It's clearly just his childhood. Um, and the thing that really tied it together for me uh, is the performance of, uh, is this David or Daniel? David. David, the uh, the kid, the six year old kid. Yeah, that is <laughs> honestly he should he should be up for best uh, actor. Like, because if his performance is bad, then that, that movie sucks, and he is so good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my only contention with all that is he's way too smart for how a six year old yeah. or how, however young he actually was. Um, that's fair. That's fair. He's There's quite devious. I mean, he is, he is. The, the scene where he gives grandma his own piss is just. Yeah. Uh, it's a that's a bit heinous. <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 got some good jokes in there. And like the uh, the daughter um, when because at a certain point the grandma immigrates to join the family when they're struggling, and the the, the daughter and uh, the little boy David um, they love Mountain Dew 
And so the grandma asks, what is this? And then I think the daughter says, oh, it's just water from the, from the mountains. And that made me laugh so much. It's like such a like, simple, dumb joke. It's like, <laughs> so stupid. Yeah, yeah. I definitely appreciated the, uh, those little flecks of humor that were kind of woven into the film. Um, for me, I, I'm going to first look at it from a thematic standpoint. And as you see through the movie, there is a clash between the wife and the husband. Uh, I forget the actress's name, but the husband was Stephen Yuen, who did fantastically in the movie. Um, So in the 80s, when it came to Korean immigrants, it's only a few decades after the Korean War. And in comparison, anything compared to the, the, the horrific experiences endured during the Korean War seemed like, uh, like a blessing. Like, you know, Stephen Yuen's character worked really hard, and that opportunity of being able to maybe, just maybe, start a successful farm was very appealing and something that really encapsulates the American dream. Um, one story, so I'm, I'm an avid hiker, and I asked my uncle like, a couple weeks ago, oh, like, how come that my, um, my dad's side of the family, because my uncle's my dad's brother, how come they're not really into hiking into, hiking into the outdoors, right, as much as I am? And apparently, according to uh, my grandfather, at least, like, I, I'm not sure if he participated in, participated in the Korean War, but he certainly lived uh, very... Um, hard times while he was in Korea and and he was saying how oh like I'm not into camping because that's all I did when I was a kid right basically living out there in uh, really uh, difficult circumstances and that he had enough for a lifetime essentially from that so there and because of those experiences family is also incredibly important right staying together being together really supporting each other through challenging obstacles and challenging times is something that is really core to Korean culture as well. So, so you see a clash of two ideals, family, which is something the wife represents, keeping the family together at all costs and working towards the American dream that just wasn't possible back in Korea, which is what the father represents. Now you could take either side and there's certainly arguments for each, but seeing the uh, kind of struggle weighing those two options because it felt like it was impossible to accomplish both, right? Because the farm was struggling and uh, the wife also thought there was more opportunity back in California while the husband still wanted to pursue the farm in Arkansas and seeing how they would manage their own family was something that the film focused on a lot. Uh, I also want to talk about the grandma just because she she does remind me of my own grandma (laughs) and that she was very curious and learning um, many just common American practices, mm. which I feel like that the kids represented, and certainly what we were talking about with the Mountain Dew water, she being so invested in learning about, oh, what's this miracle drink you're, you're yeah. drinking? And that, that certainly brought a, a couple laughs to me because it was certainly a bit more uh, nostalgic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's interesting. Like, uh, did you... Hmm. I'm trying to think, like, but you, but you wouldn't put it in your top two movies. Uh, no. I mean, I, I loved Ma Rainey so much. Ma okay. was fantastic. It's definitely, definitely in the upper quartile of movies mm. that I've seen. Gotcha. But uh, I don't know. There's something about the intimacy of Ma Rainey's and the performances of Bozeman and Davis that just really uh, 
resonated with me. So yeah, well, mm-hmm. can't argue with that. I mean, I uh, yeah, for me, like at least with Minari, I think it has the single like moment I got like kind of goosebumps was at like the very end. Like there's like that last four or five minutes. Um, and I guess we won't spoil it because it's better if it just hits, um, you know, when you watch it. But to me, that was like the best moment of like the 2020 movies. Um, you know, again, I don't want to go into more detail without with ruining it. But that's why at least it, for me, it sits a little bit higher because it is the slow burn. But then it ends so strongly, whereas Nomadland is a strong is the uh, slow burn that just kind of kind of ends. Yeah, it doesn't have the, the payoff at the end. Yeah. Um, sort of kind of falls little bit anticlimactic, yeah. which Minari wasn't. Yeah, so I definitely agree with you about that. Um, I know my soliloquy on the matter was a bit long, but I no, felt like interesting. the viewers might have, might have appreciated that. But moving on to the next movie, um, Promising Young Woman. I watched it. I thought uh, Carrie Mulligan did a fantastic performance. I don't really have that much to say on it, but um, yeah. Nick, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, so Promising Young Woman is obviously about... Uh, a difficult subject in that it's about rape culture. Um, and it's this woman who kind of, uh, has a trauma in her past and she goes back, um, and tries to, I guess, get even would be the right word. Um, and it's, you know, it's a loud movie. It's a lot of things. I really liked it. It's a lot funnier than a lot of people expect. It's a definite dark comedy. Um, as Tyler said, Carrie Mulligan is fantastic in it. Um, in terms of you know like soundtrack, uh, cinematography, color, it's really visually interesting to watch, um, which I really appreciated. And the, the casting's really good. Uh, Bo Burnham's in it, and he's really really good. Um, you know, and this they do a lot of things where they cast, um, given the the subject topic, they cast a lot of comedic actors or actors we are very familiar with. Uh, they cast them against type, so they're playing not necessarily great guys, um, which I think for the, the the message the film's going for is very effective. Um, now, is this movie going to win anything at the Oscars? We'll talk about that in a little bit, but I, I definitely would recommend it, um, as far as I would say. Yeah, and to to add on to that, like this is de- it was definitely a good movie. Not one where I'll be like, oh yeah, like two three years down the road, that's the movie you got to watch. But I think it definitely reveals uh, really important messages, especially in contemporary society, about uh, protecting the vulnerable and really uh, facilitating accountability. So I think those were. Big takeaways, but very important takeaways. Um, what did you think about Another Round, the international yeah. film? So, so the Danish movie where teachers decide it would life would be easier if they got drunk to try, based on some psychological theory, I think is how they justify it. Um, another Round is, is very Danish. That would be my first comment. Um, the second comment would be, I think it does a really good job of capturing what alcohol is, you know, because like the movie... Like like drinking is like at first it's a lot of fun and then there's a point where it gets to be maybe not as much fun as it was at the start, um, and then then that was really my takeaway is that it's, that's really what it's about you know the, it's kind of depressing at times, um, but and then the ending it makes sense I think given what it's about but the ending actually made me laugh because it's like this is <laughs> so ridiculous. Um, yeah yeah the uh, the dance at the end that, yeah. that was pretty funny. So for me, this was my least favorite film out of all of them I've watched. And this is the only film, the only movie in which I actually got on my phone and started, you know, running through Instagram and Twitter Mm -hmm. uh, mid-movie because I was just so bored. 
Uh, maybe it's just the style of an international film that I'm not accustomed to and that takes some time to get used to. But going into it, I, I saw that Mads Mikkelsen was one of the, the main cast members. I'm like, oh, let's go. It's Mads. But um, it, I was just very bored. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I, I watched it. I tried to watch it back in like February with my mom. And then we stopped midway through. And I wasn't going to finish it until you were like, hey, let's do this episode. So then I finished it. So like, it, it is definitely not the most exciting movie either. Um, it's on Hulu, though. So that's nice. Yeah, yeah. If you uh, if you're looking for a movie, I think there's a couple options. I would recommend before uh, before round. recommending another round. Yeah. But to finish up the movies, so we ended up not having the time to get to Mink or The Father or The Sound of Metal, but yeah. we did have time to get to the two front runners for best animated feature film for 2021. Uh, there's Soul and there is. Uh, Wolfwalkers. What are we, what are your thoughts on the two, and which one do you think should uh, should take home the bacon? So I would say Wolfwalkers is. It feels like it's from another time period. I mean, like the animation is very crisp and all that, but it, I saw someone describe it as it's made so that it almost everything looks as if it's a stained glass window, and to me, it's like very like beautiful to watch. Very like a lot of this other stuff, um, but I gotta be honest, I enjoyed Soul a lot more. Um, you know, Soul is the newest thing from Pixar. You know, there's the classic joke. Every Pixar, uh, you know, like uh, strategizing meeting or brainstorming meeting, it goes, okay, well, what if cars had souls? What if toys had souls? What if emotions had souls? And now we get to what if souls had souls? Um, and <laughs> I think that, you know, it is very, it's a very familiar feeling movie, but I think its execution is so good. Um, and it's funny. Like that, to me, that's what I really like in animated movies. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely agree with you that Soul was my favorite over the two. Although, I absolutely love the art style. I thought it was gorgeous mm. in uh, Wolfwalkers. I did think that the, the story in Wolfwalkers was very cliche. Yeah, and I was, thought it ripped off Beauty and the Beast a uh, lot. I was going to say um, Princess Mononoke. I haven't seen that movie, okay. but just the way that... Uh, you know, Stockholm Syndrome a bit, like getting mm. taken captive by the um, misunderstood species, right? And being yeah. the beast, that's the beast. And this movie, that's the the wolf walkers. And uh, the villain also being kind of similar, like yeah, trying to government. Yeah, take over. Even the way they, they both, spoilers, they both died, right? They both get like pushed off a cliff. Mm. Um, I didn't really like the character development of the father, too. I didn't think there was. He kind of changed for no reason and never Sean really Bean. saw his daughter's side. Yeah, Sean Bean. Uh, no, he doesn't die in this movie, but um, that's true. Very cliche, and the most positive aspect of that film was clearly uh, the, the artwork. Yeah. With Soul, I definitely enjoyed it a lot more. Uh, one thing I disagreed about was it was it got to the point towards the end where they're focusing. Okay, it's not about life. Isn't about a destination and it's about a journey, but I don't think those are mutually exclusive. I think it can be mm. both a journey and a destination. And, um, they kind of went the direction in that the main character, uh, I forget, Joe Gardner, right? He didn't really, when he finally got his dream gig, it didn't really, uh, appeal to him in the way that he thought, but I thought that they could have, go in that direction but also make it about like yes it's also about living in the moment living mm -hmm. life 
as if uh, every day could be your last and enjoying those moments that, that are outside just your passions. So I, I have a couple contentions, but very minor. I, I enjoyed the film as a whole and uh, certainly am not dissatisfied really right. about any aspect. And the, the, um, with soul, I watched it. I can't remember if I watched it before or after Ma Rainey. Cause I just know I watched the two together. Cause there was so much like just soul or jazz music with it together. I was like, this is, I almost went directly into the sound of metal, but then I had to wait, um, just to keep going with the music stuff. But yeah, soul, the animation soul, I was really impressed by, um, you know, it's again, yeah, it like, really like crisp. Yeah. Like, and the, you know, like I said, the story is a bit familiar. Like it is, it's kind of similar to inside out in a lot of ways. Um, but you know, that's okay. Cause inside out slaps. So <laughs> Inside out is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you there. So, we went through all the films, or at least the ones we've watched. Who would be your pick for the five big categories? Screenplay, best director, best picture, best actress, and best actor. Yeah, so I guess I can start with... If it were me giving the award, I would give best picture to Minari. Um... I don't think it will win. I think Nomadland is a very heavy favorite as it's won all the previous uh, you know, award shows like the Screen Actors Guild and the Golden Globes. Um, but yeah, I would pick Minari. I mean, I think it was a little a head and shoulders above most of the nominees. Um, certainly Nomadland in our joint opinion, but uh, also in the other ones as well. Which would you pick? Uh, I would pick... Uh... Uh, Minari, on second thought, it is a really fantastic film. I actually might agree with you. I was leaning towards Ma Rainey, but mm. I think as a film, Minari was a bit more complete. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you on this. I'm gonna go Minari too. Fair, fair. Um. So then I guess so for best director, who would you send? I really. You know, I'm also going to go with whoever directed Minari. I, yeah, I, I love think the uh, the way that was filmed. Yeah, Minari, I would I would agree. Um, and directed by Lee Isaac Chung, um, and I have a friend who makes the point that best director and best picture there should be no difference. The like, what is the difference? How can the best picture not be, also be the best directed? Um, and that's you know, a good an- point. The answer is best picture is political, but like. Um, but, <laughs> But yeah, so we're—I think we're we're uh, being consistent with sticking with uh, Lee Isaac Chung as also going for best actor, or sorry, for best director. Speaking of best actor, who would you pick? Chadwick Boseman. Easily, yeah, I, would, I would agree, and he is going to win. Like yeah. that is slam dunk. I would even if he didn't um, end up uh, passing yeah. away. Unfortunately, I would still pick him by a mile. I thought his performance was head and shoulders above every other actor out there. I would agree. I would definitely. Best actress? Um, Viola Davis, probably. You know, I know uh, in Ma Rainey. I know, um, I'm trying to think who's nominated. I know that the woman from uh, Minari is not. Um, and Carrie then I Mulligan haven't s- from. Uh, oh, Carrie Mulligan? Promising Young Woman. Fran- what's her? I can't- Francis, yeah, Francis McDormand, McDormand from Nomadland. Um, I'm going Viola Davis. I'm, I think, I think I'll, I'll go Viola Davis with maybe Carrie Mulligan as second for me. Um, I haven't seen like uh, Vanessa Kirby in uh, Pieces of a Woman, which sounds so depressing. If you want, go look at the description, but not not for me in this year. Um, I might pass on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, um, 
Yeah, I would say it's Viola Davis. That's that is probably the only award um, going, or one of the only awards, at least for what the actual decision is going to be, where it's up still up in the air. Because I think Viola Davis won at least one of them, and I'm pretty sure Carrie Mulligan has won one, and then Vanessa Kirby for the movie I was just talking about has also won one. So that one could go in any direction. But oh, okay. I would be I would be happy with Viola Davis or Carrie Mulligan winning, not Francis okay. McDormand. Okay, so it seems like we're four for four. Uh, in a conjunction with each other, but yeah. best screenplay. Yeah, so I would say it's promising young woman, um, because, well, I think I would say that Minari is also a very good screenplay. I don't know if it's up for it, if it's technically most of it's in Korean. So I know there that was a controversy with the Golden Globes. I don't know what they did with the Oscars, um, but I would say promising young woman, and only because, you know, if you look at some of the previous uh, best screenplay winners like Get Out and Jojo Rabbit. It's using dark comedy or like these other different things to explain a larger issue or to go after a larger issue. And I think mm, the best screenplay is like a really, um, you know, viable route for those to be recognized because I'm promising young woman's not going to win best picture. Um, so. Okay. Does, uh, does trial of the Chicago seven qualify? Yeah. It's, it's nominated. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would be my pick, but that, that's kind of a personal pick just cause as I mentioned before, I love Aaron Sorkin that's and fair. I love, uh, the, the way he makes his films. That's definitely but fair. It's, yeah, yeah. It seems like we're in agreement for the most part on uh, which movies and which actors and actresses we thought displayed or put on the most uh, electric performances. Yeah. And I, I hope we can uh, continue having these sort of conversations in the future. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, maybe we can have one for like uh, Sundance or one of those other like, you know, very cinephile film festivals. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that'll take some mental effort. It's, but, uh, um, not even I'm watching this. Don't worry. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for uh, listening. Always yeah. uh, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, and I uh, hope you have a good night. Yeah.